Today's reading from the Word of God comes from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, and John chapter 15, verses 1 through 12. Please follow along in your own Bibles on the screen behind me or listen as I read the scripture. Once again, that is uh, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, and John chapter 15, verses 1 through 12. Following the reading, I invite you to respond in worship with the singing of the doxology. At that time, children are invited to join Kids Rock, Kids Rock through the door on your right. Hear the word of the Lord. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. From the Gospel of John, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will bear even more and be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. My name is Ethan. I'm one of the pastors here at High Rock North Shore. I am so glad and blessed to be worshiping with all of you today. Now, like we do every week, I encourage you to take a few moments before we begin to silence and quiet your heart and your mind, to set aside so many of the little distractions that we carry around with us every day and invite God to meet us here today. After a few moments, I will close us in prayer. Holy God, we love you. Thank you for today, for the blessing it is to worship together. Thank you for this church, the people gathered here today, the people gathered online. Thank you for all the ways that you are moving actively in our lives. I pray that today you will continue to do so, that you will continue to bring to fruition that which you started in us, Lord. Be in this place. Bless this time. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So over the years, there have been many, many studies that have shown that your brain remembers things better when you put it to music. 
whether it's a song and it's easy to remember or you need to memorize something and you put that thing you need to memorize to music, something about the music and the cadence of it helps you remember it better. I bet most of us learned the alphabet when we were young by memorizing and singing the alphabet song. Or maybe you learned all 50 states in the U.S. by memorizing that song that lists them in alphabetical order. I remember friends in high school put all of the elements on the periodic table into a song to memorize for chemistry class, which sounded miserable. But they did it, and they passed their test. For some reason, music helps us remember things better. And if you grew up going to church and your Sunday school experience was anything like mine, then you grew up memorizing little songs like those to help you remember things from the Bible. Maybe it was the books of the Bible song, or the Father Abraham song, or the Zacchaeus was a wee little man song. And I get that words put to music, it's scientifically proven to help us remember things better, but I just, why did all of those songs have to be such earworms, you know? I preached on Zacchaeus like four months ago, and that song is still stuck in my head. But today, I have the pleasure of introducing our next sermon series, and I have just the perfect one of those memorization songs to introduce it. So, are you all ready to learn our new sermon series? You sound so excited to hear me sing a song. I get it. All right, so I'll sing the song, introduce the sermon series. If you know the song, feel free to join along. <clears throat> I'm really nervous right now. This is so silly. All right, here we go. The fruit of the Spirit's not a watermelon. The fruit of the Spirit's not a watermelon. <laughs> if you want to be a watermelon, someone's singing it, you might as well hear it. You can't be a fruit of the Spirit because the fruits are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Thank you. Thank you. Years of musical theater really prepped me for that moment. <laughs> Friends, in case that song didn't give it away, this sermon series we're going through this summer will be organic, fruit of the Spirit. Each week we will be going through Galatians 5, 22 and 23 and looking at each of the fruit of the Spirit. Because when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is faithful to transform our hearts and our minds and our lives. But what does that transformation look like? How are we called to live and love God and others? Well, in the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul talks about what that love and what that transformation looks like. Paul talks about how we are invited to live and love, how we are called to act, how we are transformed through our faith in Christ and what that transformation creates within us. And he calls that creation within us the fruit of the Spirit. And so each week in this sermon series, we will be going through one of these fruits of the Spirit. So today, I want to kick off our sermon series by talking a little bit about Galatians, the book that this verse is found in, and giving us a little bit of background and context and a foundation for the series going forward. Why did Paul talk about the fruit of the Spirit? So the book of Galatians was written by a man named Paul who was a follower of Jesus. You might remember hearing a little bit about Paul from our last sermon series, In Good Spirit, when we walked through the book of Acts. Paul wrote a lot of the books of the New Testament, and all of them were written in the form of letters from him to a different church that was scattered across the world. So the book of Galatians is a letter written from Paul to the church in Galatia. 
And Paul's letters usually fell into one of two categories. It was either a letter encouraging the church because they were doing great. They were loving Jesus. They were loving their neighbor. Everything was going super well. Or it was a letter written because there was something they were missing, something they weren't understanding, something that just wasn't clicking, something they were struggling with. And I love the book of Galatians for lots of reasons. But one of the things I love about it is the beginning of the letter because Paul makes it pretty clear right away which kind of letter he's writing to these people and why he's writing it. He starts with a traditional greeting saying, this letter is from Paul to the church in Galatia. Grace and peace be with you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And then he just jumps right in and he says, I am astonished that you are already abandoning the gospel. (laughs) Jeez, Paul. Tell us how you really feel. He's basically opening the letter by saying, hey, it's me, Paul. What's wrong with you? There is a problem in the Galatian church, and Paul is writing this letter to try and fix it. The problem that they're running into is that there are false teachings spreading through the church. See, Paul had previously preached the gospel to the Galatians, telling them about the good news of Jesus Christ, and the Galatians dedicated themselves to Jesus. Woo! But apparently, some of them have started preaching and teaching things that are contrary to the gospel of Christ. And it seems that the biggest false teaching that's happening isn't that Jesus isn't God. It isn't that Jesus wasn't raised from the dead or died for our sins. It wasn't even that any, any of them should start worshiping Greek gods or Roman gods. It wasn't anything like that. The biggest false teaching that was sweeping through the church of Galatia is that people should be circumcised and adhere to the old traditions and customs of the Israelites. Some of the Jewish Christians in this church are teaching believers that they need to believe in Jesus, yes, but they also need to keep the customs and laws and ceremonies of Judaism because that's their ticket to living a righteous life. Now, you might be thinking, Ethan, that doesn't sound super bad, right? I mean, they're believing in Jesus, right? That's good. Correct. That's very good. But here's the problem. They were teaching these people that in order to be saved, in order to know God fully, in order to uh, develop a relationship with Christ, they essentially had to be circumcised and convert to Judaism. They had to follow the law that the Israelites had tried and failed to follow for thousands of years. That was their ticket to living righteous and godly lives. The false teachers are saying that in order to be a true follower of God, you needed to obey the law perfectly. That's how you earned your salvation. That's the mark of a good believer. That is what a transformed life looks like. They were saying, yeah, 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 we believe in Jesus, but we also have to keep doing all these things to show that we're good Christians. The Galatians had accepted Jesus as their Savior, but they had had accepted the gospel, but they were still trying to do stuff to earn the gospel, to prove their righteousness. They were trying to maintain the law as if by maintaining the law, they'll earn Jesus. As if they need to be circumcised to be real followers of Christ. As if they just needed to do this thing and that thing to live a righteous life. And Paul is aghast. Because that is not the gospel of Christ. The truth of the gospel of Christ is that we are saved not because we have done anything at all. Not because we've earned it. Not because we've elevated ourselves to the point of deserving it, but because of God's astounding love and mercy. It is not through any works or deeds or actions, but simply through our faith. And it's when we put our faith in Jesus that we start to see a transformed heart and life. So Paul tells them, why are you believing this fake gospel? 
you know very well that how, we follow, how well we follow the law isn't what justifies us. We're justified by our faith in Jesus. So in the book of Galatians, Paul is reminding the people in that church, sometimes with a lot of sass, that we are redeemed and reconciled and freed from the power of sin, not because we have done anything to earn it, but because we have believed and put our faith in Jesus Christ. And it's only through faith in Jesus Christ that we can be transformed. Because ultimately, when we try to live perfectly and earn our salvation or force ourselves into living new lives, we will inevitably fall short. And this is the ultimate crux of the issue that spawned this letter to the Galatians. It's what, Paul, it's what leads Paul to start talking about the fruit of the Spirit. We cannot muscle our way into living renewed, perfect lives. Instead, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and let his love and gospel transform our hearts, that is when we begin to see real change. That's when we begin to be transformed. And that is what Paul is trying to tell the Galatians. Instead of muscling our way into change, the gospel of life transforms our hearts. And that transformed heart within us grows the fruit of the Spirit. It is this transformed heart that leads us to love like God loves, to have joy and peace and patience, to live with goodness and faithfulness, to be gentle and self-controlled. And so today, we're looking at that first fruit of the Spirit that Paul is saying is, is what comes out of our transformed hearts, love. And I'll be honest, it's hard to even narrow down what passages we can pick and what we can look at as kind of examples of love. Because it turns out the Bible talks about love roughly a bajillion times. So what does it mean when we say that the Spirit is going to cultivate within us love? Because there are also so many ways that we love. And we throw around that word love all the time. For example, guys, I love Taco Bell. Uh, probably way too much. This is in my home. Um, so probably too much. But I love Taco Bell. I love coffee. I love going to coffee shops and hanging out there. I love playing disc golf. I love my friends and I love my wife, Kayla. Yet I love all of these things in very, very different ways. But in English, I use that same word for it, love. But Greek, the language that the New Testament was originally written in, does things a little differently. Greek uses multiple different words to convey different nuances or meanings to one concept. And that's especially true when it comes to the word love. Greek has different words to describe the different types of love that we can experience, from brotherly or sisterly love to erotic love to love that is more an action than a feeling. And this love that is more an action than a feeling is called, the word for that in Greek is agape. Agape is a word that carries with it a sense of sacrifice and service, an intentional choice to put another person first. And wouldn't you know it, that's the Greek word used in Galatians 5 when Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And it's the Greek word used in John 15, that passage that Susan read for us a moment ago, when Jesus calls us to love one another. In it, Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other 
as I have loved you. Jesus says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. And his command is love one another. Love each other as I have loved you. And John is using that agape love here, that that love that is more an action than a feeling. Jesus is calling us to consciously and intentionally choose to love one another, to serve one another just as he loved us. He is calling us to love sacrificially and intentionally. He is calling us to actively choose love. And this love that is exhibited through Christ is a deep and selfless love. 1 Corinthians 13, often referred to as the love chapter in the Bible, refers to, describes this love as patient and kind. It's a love that serves others, a love that celebrates and protects and perseveres. It's a love that we are invited not just to feel, but to do. It's a love in which we see many of the other fruits of the Spirit. We see patience and kindness and joy and peace. All of these things are found within this Christ-like model of love. If the fruit of the Spirit were a painting, then love would be the first brushstroke. Love is foundational to the rest. Love is active and intentional and a choice. Love is what drives us in how we treat one another. And how we use or how we love each other with this agape kind of love will look different for each of us and for each situation. What would it look like for you to choose this intentional and active love in your life with the people around you? Maybe this kind of selfless love, this kind of love that is patient and kind, that does not boast, is not self-seeking, maybe this kind of love looks like making the conscious effort to be more patient with your spouse or your roommate, your kids. Maybe it means making yourself available to a friend who needs someone to talk to. Maybe it means choosing to be more gracious to others when they don't act the way you want them to act. Maybe it means carrying a burden for someone else, running an errand for them, offering to take care of a task that they need done when they're feeling stressed and overwhelmed. Maybe it means learning how your friends or family or spouse feels loved. Learning how they receive love. What's a love language of, them, of theirs that speaks to them and intentionally choosing to do those things. Personally, in my own life, I know that finding a ride to the airport uh, can be really stressful for a lot of people. Uh, and if you can't find a ride, it's really expensive to Uber all the way to the airport. So one way that I try to live out this agape, intentional love, in a very simple way, is by being the designated airport ride guy. Need a ride to the airport? If my schedule doesn't have a conflict, I'll give you a ride. And I do it a lot. Um, Depending on the month, uh, I probably make one or two airport trips a week. So my friends like to jokingly refer to me as the May Family Taxi Company. I've written up a fake confirmation text that I send to them from the desk of May Family Taxi Co. You'll notice that uh, the total fees, just friendship, pretty cheap, hopefully. Um, I do require that you bring a photo ID and at least two interesting topics of conversation. Cookie donations are very welcome uh, as well. But uh, that's one little way that I just try to intentionally choose to love others. It's a small thing for me. It's a silly thing when I send that text message. But it's one way that I try to live out that love that 1 Corinthians describes as kind and selfless. It's a little uh, daunting as I announce that to this room of like over 100 people. (laughs) 
and a live stream where the whole world could watch this. Uh, but I mean it, friends. A drive down to the airport is worth it to me if it means that I can show you that love that is more an action than a feeling. If it means that I can help love you by taking some stress off your plate. So if you're ever in need of a ride to the airport, I mean it. Give me a call. Shoot me an email. There's the contact info for May Family Taxi Company. I mean it. I would love to. Whatever it looks like, friends, whether it's something small or big, we are called by Christ to live into that agape love, this love that is more an action than a feeling. And the only way that we can develop this kind of love so that it is natural for us, it is automatic for us, is by abiding in Christ. The only way that we can cultivate a love for others is through a life spent seeking after and remaining in Christ. Because when we look at John 15, and when we look at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, we'll start to notice that they're not really passages about striving for or working towards something as much as they're about remaining in and resting in and abiding in God. Imagine a tomato growing in the garden. That tomato doesn't have to do anything, really, except its one job, which is to remain on the vine. And when it does that, when it relies on the work of the gardener and the soil it receives from nature, it grows. There's a reason why we're calling our sermon series organic. is because the fruit of the Spirit organically starts to appear in our lives as we abide in Christ. And the fruit of the Spirit and this kind of love can often be misconstrued as do these things, be these things. But here in John 15, Jesus just says, just be with me. Be with me, seek a relationship with me, and you'll start to see these fruits. The Christian life is as easy and as hard as that. Now, that doesn't mean that there's no action, that we can just kick up our feet and wait for the Holy Spirit to transform us, because it does require action. Christ calls us to love with this agape love that is an action-centered love, this sacrificial choice. But it means that it doesn't start with action. It's not by the sweat of our own brow. It starts with putting our faith in Jesus, seeking to know him, and abiding in his love. And this is a process, my friends. The fruit of the Spirit can very easily be misinterpreted as characteristics that we have to manufacture ourselves. But the key to understanding the fruit of the Spirit, honestly, if we just look at the name, fruit is the natural result of growth. If you've ever done much gardening, whether you're planting fruit or vegetables or flowers, you'll know that they don't spring up overnight. It's a process where every day the fruit grows more and more and more. And the same is true in our lives. Leaving here today and saying, God, I want to love like you love, doesn't mean that suddenly you'll wake up tomorrow morning and loving others selflessly is just a piece of cake forever. It takes time to plant the seed, to water and nurture it and for it to grow into fruit. And the rest of the name of the fruit of the Spirit, of the Spirit, explains exactly who causes that growth. It's not our striving or our straining, but the power of the Holy Spirit. No amount of human toil or gritty determination can produce spiritual fruit. It is only by the life-changing power of the Holy Spirit. 
It's when we abide in Christ, when we walk with the Holy Spirit, when we hang on to the vine, that is when we begin to see a transformed life. Not because we follow the law of the Israelites perfectly, not because we're circumcised or observe all the traditions or all the customs of the Israelites. We can't muscle our way into a transformed life. Our, tra- our lives are transformed by the Holy Spirit. And that transformation is the fruit and the work of the Spirit within us. So friends, what does it look like for you to abide in Christ today? What does it look like for you to be attached to the vine so that you can better love God and others? For me personally, I connect with Jesus through musical worship. Listening to and singing along with uh, worship music is very spiritually restful for me, refreshing for me. It helps me connect with God on a heart level. It's a time that helps me abide in Jesus like a tomato on the vine. And even when I feel worn out or disconnected from God, listening and worshiping to musical worship, it gives me energy and joy. And I feel like I can love people better when I've been intentionally spending time in musical worship. Maybe for you, abiding in Christ means having a very specific or structured time where you read the Bible, going through a specific Bible study or reading a book. Maybe you abide in Christ and cultivate that agape love by having a dedicated, structured time spent in God's Word, hanging on to the Word like a tomato on the vine. Or maybe it's a less structured way where you read the Bible. Pastor Brynn has talked about uh, before how sometimes she most deeply connects with Scripture simply by reading until something stands out to her as beautiful or particularly meaningful. And then she stops and reflects on that. Maybe something like that. Is how you abide in Christ through the Word. Maybe for you, abiding in Christ means going for a walk every day and enjoying God's creation. Maybe for you, abiding in Christ is through painting or the visual arts. Maybe it means dedicating a certain amount of time or multiple times throughout the day to pray. Maybe it means having a friend you talk to every day or once a week about what's going on in your life, what's weighing on your heart, how you can encourage each other and praying together cultivating and extending that love to one another. And Pastor Gene brought up a great point when I was chatting with him yesterday about the sermon. He says that sometimes how we remain and abide in Christ can look different throughout our lives. The way we used to connect with God may not be how we best connect with God now. And I know that in my own life, before I went to seminary, I had a very structured way that I would read the Bible every day. I had a a dedicated quiet time with other books I would read. And then I went to seminary which I loved. I'm not bashing seminary. It's great. If Gordon Conwell's watching, it was awesome. No, but all of a sudden, that way that I was reading the Bible felt like how I was reading the Bible and books for homework. And it felt like that. I felt like disconnected from God because how I was trying to connect wasn't working the way it worked before. And so I decided instead to start, instead of reading these big chunks, I just would read a chapter of the Psalms for every chapter outside the Psalms that I would read. So I'd read a chapter of the gospel and a chapter of the Psalms, and I would just connect with God more on a heart level. It it, it was deeply powerful for me and how I changed kind of that way that I connected. Pastor Gene uh, described it as it's like discovering an old pair of jeans doesn't fit quite like it used to. And it's as simple as trying to find what pair of pants fits you best now. Now, it's through these things, and it's in these ways that we daily choose to abide in Christ that we will begin to see the fruit of the Spirit cultivated within us. So, friends, this summer, how is God calling you to abide in Him this week, this month, throughout the summer? 
the fruit of the Spirit isn't a list of to-dos of things we can manufacture ourselves, but how can we abide in Christ? How can we daily seek Jesus in ways that will make the soil ready for planting? So I encourage you this week, my friends, to prayerfully think of one practical way that you can stay connected to the vine this summer, because summers, they're busy. As we travel, we transition into new jobs or new schools, as families and life stages change, what is one way that you can stay grounded and rooted and connected? How can you abide in Christ? What does it look like for you to abide and connect with Christ? And as you think of ways that you can abide in Christ, ask God to show you how you can then extend love to those around you, that love that starts to, get, starts to cultivate and grow within you as you abide in Christ. Because Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. The ways that it shines light, not just on the experiences of people thousands and thousands of years ago, but how it shines light into our lives as well. Lord, I pray that as we go from here, you will convict us and encourage us and guide us in ways that we can better abide in you. We can better seek you out. I pray that you will cultivate within us love, the kind of love that you showed us, that selfless, intentional, agape love. Lord, be with us now today as we go from here. In Christ, I pray that all that we do will be glorifying to you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.